This week on the podcast, I have a conversation with Jeremy Poinsonneau. Jeremy is a blind golfer, but he is not just any blind golfer. He is the eight-time national blind golf champion. And when I first heard of Jeremy and blind golf, I didn't know what to think, but it absolutely blew me away. And we talked through his journey, how he went blind. He was a normal college student. Um, and one day he gradually started to go blind. And what stuck out stuck out to me was how he overcome, how he overcame so many challenges um, throughout this process of going blind, but the relationship he shares with his dad. And as you'll hear in the conversation, his dad plays a big role um, with the blind golf and the success they have both had as a team together. Um, Jeremy's incredibly positive. We both share the love of Ted Lasso. Um, so we talk about that as well. But I can't wait for you to hear the conversation. If you enjoy it, share it with some friends and family. Um, give us a nice five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And of course, Engineered Sleep, mattress manufacturer based out of Greenville, South Carolina. And now I've had multiple clients get new mattresses from them and it makes a difference right away. So you can either go visit them in their showroom in Greenville, South Carolina, or go to their website, engineeredsleep.com, use promo code LIV10, and you'll get 10% off your order. But I'm telling you, the team at Engineered Sleep, they're gonna make your life easy by finding the right mattress for you, and it's gonna change your life. You're gonna get better sleep, you're gonna have more energy, you're gonna have a clear mind, you're gonna be more motivated. There's so much that goes along with getting better sleep. It's incredible. So reach out to the team at Engineered Sleep, get yourself a new mattress, and without further ado, here is my conversation with Jeremy. Welcome to Live Life in Motion, where the goal is to bring you conversations that give you the power of education so you can use those tools to optimize your life on a personal and professional level to better yourself, your community, and those around you. Jeremy, man, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to share your story. And first off, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. You're down in uh, San Diego, um, enjoying the beautiful weather, I'm sure. Big time. Absolutely. Yeah. No complaints out of San Diego. Did uh, Is that where you grew up? Yeah. Born and raised in San Diego and doing everything in my power to never leave. When did um, When did your dad or your family move to the States? Uh, so my dad moved to San Diego from France in the mid eighties. I want to guess 86. Um, and he actually came out here to work for TaylorMade golf. Um, it was acquired by Solomon skis and he was a skier and he wanted to maybe get in the ski industry, but was like, okay, maybe I'll start in golf. And he worked at TaylorMade and he was only supposed to be here for two years. Met my mom who was in marketing at TaylorMade and uh, yeah, the rest is history. We've stayed in San Diego ever since. And I think we're around the same age. Are you born in 88 or 87? Eight, 89. 89. All right. I'm a yeah. little older than you. Um, yeah. You look what... it too. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, so I know you played golf in high school a good bit, but talk to me about what life was before you, you went blind. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was pretty awesome. Life was great. It was, it was really good. I um, was living a great life in San Diego, played three years varsity golf in high school, uh, was slowly gaining my independence and 
when I then went off to San Diego State University. I didn't play golf there. My golf game was maybe good enough to play D3 college golf, but I wanted the D1 college experience, and I got that at San Diego State. I joined a fraternity, had a really good time, and, and life was great. Um, and yeah, everything was just trending in a great direction. Everything was going great. What was the first moment you realized your site might be on the decline? I was walking around on campus one day with a group of friends and noticed I had to squint to read a sign from a distance and thought, whoa, okay, like not that big a deal. I've got fraternity brothers and friends who have glasses or contacts. And I guess it's my time to do that. I was a 19 year old sophomore at that time and just thought, okay, I need to see an optometrist, find out what the prescription is and keep going about my life. Um, and that's, that's when I first thought I just needed classes. That's kind of how it all started. Sure. And you know, I mean, I'm a guy that got contacts, I think in sixth grade, cause I was having a hard time seeing the baseball, you know, when I was mm -hmm. playing, uh, playing baseball. So kind of similar experience to probably what you thought, but walk me through the next few weeks and months as you realize this is much more serious than, Hey, I need some glasses. Yeah. Everything was normal routine. I thought I just needed glasses went and saw the optometrist and he did the normal test that everybody's done. You know, what do you see better with one or two, mm -hmm. two or three and look at the eye chart. And then, um, I can see everything on the eye chart with both eyes open, but then he has me cover my left eye to see the eye chart. And when I covered my left eye, I couldn't see anything on the eye chart. I was like, okay. And I couldn't even see the big E I'm like, okay, maybe I'm gonna need some thick glasses, uh, a little thicker than I was expecting, but whatever, we can make that work. And the optometrist at that point, I kind of knew something was up because my little brother who's six years younger than me, Eric was in the room with me while I was taking the test. And I put my, I was covering my left eye. I couldn't see the big E. And then I look over to him and he's just staring at me when in total shock. I'm like, okay. And the optometrist is like, yeah, we're going to need to call your parents in and I'm going to need to run some tests on you. And we're going to need to talk about what's going on. And that's when, yeah, I knew something was up and my family and I kind of went on what we call a medical mystery tour where I went and saw multiple different doctors and they thought they like, a bunch of different doctors thought I had different things and I was misdiagnosed with several different disorders that sounded horrible. And it was a pretty crazy process of about two months of seeing a bunch of specialists, a bunch of doctors. I had a catheter in my hand for five days. They pumped steroids into me and said, that'll fix it. It didn't. Uh, I got a spinal tap done where they stick a large needle in your back, drains fluids and run tests on those. And then I had a catheter in my hand for five, uh, sorry, in my jugular, uh, in my neck cords dangling out of my neck for 10 days. And I did a treatment every other day in the hospital for a couple hours. And they said that would help and fix it. And it didn't. So in that whole span of two months, my vision was drastically deteriorating. And essentially I had no central vision in my right eye. And in that two month span, my left eye was slow, was rapidly deteriorating too. And it kind of went to where it is now. I'm legally blind with no central vision. So you get diagnosed with LHON, which is yeah. an extremely rare um, form of, is it a disease? What is it? 
Yeah, you can call it a disease, a disorder. Yeah, it's it's extremely rare. It happens to one in 50,000 people. And I read somewhere that that's maybe 100 people in the U.S. or? Yeah, yeah essentially 100 people in the U.S. are diagnosed with it each year. Yeah. That's incredible. And do you remember yourself after you realized you get diagnosed with this? What were the next few weeks like? I mean, I can envision myself. I would be like down in the dumps, super depressed, like questioning life almost at this point. Like what, what do I have left to live? That's, I mean, that's a hundred percent what it was for me. I mean, you go, you go through the stages of grief. Um, it starts with denial. I first was denying that what was happening was actually happening. I'm like, this is not real life. I'm going to wake up one day and it was all a nightmare and things will go back to the way they were. Um, and then when reality sets in, you kind of go into the second stage and that's anger. I was mad. I was mad. Like what, what caused this? Why, why did this happen? I then went to bargaining. Uh, I started to plead, uh, and say like, whatever I need to do to make things go back to the way they were, I'll do it. Please just tell me what it is. The fourth uh, stage is depression. Very real. Um, and I, I was in a depressed state for a good period of time. And I actually saw a blind psychologist for over a year. Um, and then the fifth and final stage is acceptance. But research says it takes on average two years to go from a traumatic life experience to reaching acceptance. And once you reach acceptance, it doesn't mean the first four stages are never visited again. Uh, it's not linear and you mm -hmm. don't go to acceptance and then all of a sudden, you know, clap your hands and you're, you're good. But uh, you kind of, you have to go through those stages. And I definitely did. How did you find golf to come back into your life? Uh, my mom, uh, I, I was, yeah, I was a golfer when I was fully sighted. My mom was doing tons of research. My mom's incredible. She's not the one to just kind of like feel bad and, and sympathize and just be like, Oh man, woe is me. She's kind of, she's the person who rolls up her sleeves and says, okay, what are we going to do? How mm -hmm. are we going to fix this? How are we going to find something to, to move forward? Um, and she wasn't saying to me like, Hey, buck up or anything like that, which is good of her. I appreciate that. But what she did do is she was just doing tons of research. I mean, she practically diagnosed me with LHON when other doctors were saying it was something else. She's like, I'm pretty sure it's LHON. And they're like, ma'am, are you a physician? She's like, no, I'm in marketing. And they're like, yeah, I, stick to marketing. This is what we think it is. And she ended up being right. Um, but in all of her research, she found the USBGA, United States Blind Golf Association. And she all of a sudden had these visions of me playing blind golf tournaments and <laughs> playing in tournaments all over the world. And she was so excited and she came and found me and she was like, Jeremy, there's such thing as the USBGA, there's blind golf tournaments all over the world. And I was like, yeah, mom, that's cute. But I'm, <laughs> I, I don't know how blind people play golf. I don't know if I'm ready for that. And uh, it was during a time when I was very uncomfortable to even say the word blind. So, um, I was very uncomfortable in my own skin. I was uncomfortable with the whole situation. Uh, although blind golf in my mom's eyes sounded fantastic to me, uh, I was, I was nervous and worried about how the heck I'm even going to cross the street on my own safely, let alone think about golf. Um, <laughs> but it was my mom who brought it up for sure in the beginning. Do you remember the first time you went out to the range or, to, or went somewhere to hit balls? Mm hmm. Yeah. When uh, my dad and I, my dad and I played golf growing up when I was fully sighted, uh, he and I would play every Sunday. 
And from when I was 12 till I was 17, when I was in middle school and high school, he and I would play every Sunday. So we had a really good bond from that. And um, after I lost my sight and my mom told me about blind golf, uh, my dad was like, hey, if you want to go to the range, let's go to the range. And it's like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. And, and then finally, after a period of time, uh, I, well, actually, my, my dad worked at Callaway at the time. And I lost my sight kind of during winter break of college, kind of around just post Thanksgiving and holiday season. Uh, and then Christmas came around and my dad gave me a new set of irons and he had gotten them before I'd lost my sight and was going to give them to me that Christmas. But he's kind of like, do I give them to him? Do I not give them to him? And he's like, I'll just, I'll give them to him. And I was, I was pretty bummed out to receive them. Like it was really nice, but I felt like it was dangling a carrot in front of a blind guy who couldn't see the carrot. <laughs> and I was like, Oh man, like, I don't know. Like these are nice, but they're just going to collect dust. I'm never going to use them. But some point after Christmas, after getting those irons, it was like, well, at the driving range, I can't embarrass myself. Like I'm not playing with other people. If I, you know, if I don't hit them well, whatever. And I took my dad up on it and ended up being my dad, myself, and my little brother. We all went to the driving range and I said, Hey, if I swing and miss and I totally whiff it, like I'm done. I'm not, if I miss any shot, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> and, uh, I, I didn't miss any, uh, so I didn't even have to make that decision of whether or not to continue. I did continue and I've, uh, I've picked up the game again. Was that from that first rain session? Did you and your dad's partnership begin? Was he already Hey, I'm gonna line you up and, and what kind of walk me through what he does for you, as a pre-shot routine and on the golf course. Yeah. So blind golf is a team sport. I think everybody knows that golf is an individual sport, but blind golf is a team sport. And it was kind of a natural fit where my dad knows my game really well. Um, and like I said, we played all the time growing up. So when I learned that in blind golf, every blind golfer has a guide, someone who helps him out on every shot, it was just a no brainer that that was going to be my dad for me. And what we do is, yeah, we kind of talk through each hole. If it's a course I've never played before, we'd say, okay, it's uh, par four, 420 yards. Okay. Uh, based on kind of the landing area and where we're trying to hit it, we'll kind of discuss, like, he knows my tendencies. Like, hey, do we want to hit a driver off the tee, three wood, hybrid, anything less? Like, explain to me why, and we'll kind of talk about it. And, you know, most times, like, hey, let's pull the driver. Okay, cool. And, <laughs> Uh, I mean, if it's a 420 yard hole, it'll be driver, but if it's, you know, if it's 350, we'll hit hybrid, um, put it down the middle and go from there. But, uh, if it's 420, we'll, we'll pull the driver and then pre-shot routine is all I do is I take a good practice swing. He points in the direction we want to hit the shot. I try to envision where he's pointing. I have no idea where he's pointing, uh, but it's kind of, it's part <laughs> of the routine and kind of trying to envision it. And then. Uh, I step over the shot and from behind, he's looking at my feet and how they're lined up and says, go a little more, right. I turn around the ball to the right. And then he says, you're good. And I pull the trigger. It's really like a video game. Uh, and I'm, I'm the player and he's kind of the guy who has the controls <laughs> and says, right, left, good. And then hit it. And I hit it. So that's what we do. Are you able to visualize? I mean, I know if my, you know, part of my pre-shot routine is I'll stand behind the ball and even maybe like Jason Day does, like he, you know, visualize the shot before you hit it. Are you still able to do that before you, you know, line up a shot? 
in a sense, but not, not the same way Jason Day does where like you stand behind it, close your eyes. And then you like, look at the target. Like I'm unable to see the target. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, rather than visualizing it with my eyes, I'm trying to feel it, uh, with the practice swing. Like I'm, when I take my practice swing and let's say it's an approach shot and it's 140 yards, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to hit a full pitching wedge. And, and when I take the practice swing, this is how I want it to feel. I take the practice swing, I hit the grass, I hit the turf and kind of really go, this is what I want it to feel like. And, and then when I step over the ball, I want to just replicate that. So mm -hmm. it's, it's less on visualization and more on feel. What about putting? How much can you putt or, or is that still, you know, relying on your pops? Uh, always relying on my pops better uh, to better us as a team. But uh, I'm pretty deadly with the putter, which is fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it, you know, people people don't see it coming. And that's 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 a good blind joke when they don't see it coming. But uh, <laughs> what I'll do is I'll walk the amount of paces or yards it is from the ball to the hole. And so if I'm walking it and it's 10 paces, that's a 30 footer. Mm -hmm. So I'll walk it. And my dad's kind of looking at it with his eyes and I'll feel it with my feet and I'll be like, okay, 10 paces uphill. And I'll come back to my dad and say 10 paces uphill in my feet, like with my feel and my feet, I feel like it's breaking to the right. And he'll say, yeah, it looks like it'll break a foot left to right. And so I'll say uphill 10 paces. How about I play 11 paces? And he says, yeah, I like that. Okay. Dang. Awesome. And then, yeah, then I have a Odyssey two ball putter and from behind he looks at it and tells me to go left. And all I'm trying to do once he says, good, I've got the line. All I'm trying to do now is stroke it. What feels like is 11 paces and man, we should get it pretty close. I was uh, telling my fiance the other day, we were messing around doing some putting actually here in the office cool. on the carpet and she kept running it by. And I was like, Babe, you got to think about speed. Yep. <laughs> you can be a foot left or right, but if you're yeah. you got your speed down, um, you're gonna be you know two putting a lot more frequently. Live Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Engineered Sleep. Engineered Sleep is a mattress manufacturer, and they are based out of Greenville, South Carolina. They have been making mattresses for as long as I can remember, and their main goal is to make finding the quality mattress for you as easy as possible. Um, they have a showroom in Greenville, but you can also visit them at their website, engineeredsleep.com. If you go to their website, use code LIV10, and you will get 10% off. As you guys know, sleep is the number one thing you need to focus on for good health. And it all starts with your mattress, so stop putting it on the back burner Go get yourself a mattress from Engineered Sleep and start living a better life. I mean, you're an incredibly accomplished blind golfer. I mean, it's absurd. You've you know, won eight national <laughs> titles, two world titles. Tell me, do you remember the first time you, you know, entered the national championship for the blind golf? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh it was in 2009 in San Antonio, Texas. And um it was the first time I'd ever played with someone who was totally blind too. Like I had a playing partner who was totally blind and his name's John, John Casolo. And he's one of my biggest inspirations. He was 80 years old. Uh, and I'm like grinding out there wanting to 
shoot the lowest round possible, but it's like early in my blind golfing career. And I'm kind of snapping at my dad over everything. And, you know, he's like, well, you hit it there. I'm like, well, you probably lined me up there. And we're like, we're, it's, it's not going well, but we end up shooting a 97 par 72 course. And I was, I was so mad. And John Casolo shot a 324. Wow. It was so bad. <laughs> I remember being on like the 17th green and he's just still like, you know, coming to the green. And, and I said to my dad, I'm like, do you think he's going to shoot over like 150? And he's like, oh, I think he's shooting well over 200. I'm like, really? And yeah, he shot a 324 and I shot a 97. I'm mad at the world. And I go and shake his hand after the round. I'm like, John, it was nice playing with you. And he's like, Jeremy, I had a great day today. Thank you. I'm like, <laughs> whoa, like, this is crazy. Like how that, that put a lot of things into perspective for me. And uh, he's someone I still keep in touch with to this day. I see him at all of our national championships and he's one of my biggest inspirations. Who's uh, who are some of your biggest competitors on the world scene? Yeah. Uh, on the world scene, there's um a guy who's a couple years older than me named Derek in Canada. Uh, he's probably my biggest competitor on the world scene. Uh, and he's a heck of a human being. Uh, he and his wife just had a baby. Um, he's, he's so cool. And that's what I, that's what I love about golf and blind golf. He's my biggest competitor in the world scene, but like, I really like him and we, we get along really well. And obviously when we're playing, we want to kick each other's butts, but we'll have a beer after and have a good time and <laughs> talk shop. And he's just, just a good human being. And that's what I love about blind golf is when we finish the round at a national championship at a world championship, we sit around, eat, have drinks, chat, and you never hear anybody there complaining about their lack of sight. Mm-hmm. And you know, someone who's never seen blind golf before might come in the room and be like, wait, like all these people here are blind or legally blind. It's like, yeah, like, man, I feel so bad for this guy or I feel bad for her. And it's like, don't like we're, we're doing what we love. And I think that's, what's so impressive with the blind golfing community is we don't want sympathy. We, we want to do what we love. And Mm -hmm. we're the folks who, yeah, we had traumatic things happen to us. Um, but we're pursuing our passion. Where, I mean, you, your mindset is incredibly uh, positive, right? And you, I mean, you've gone through, like you said, these traumatic events, but on, at the end of the day, you're out there doing what you love and you still are living your life. How do you think you developed that? Is there somebody in your life that you kind of looked up to or did it just happen over time? You wake up one morning and say, Hey, like I'm going to make the best out of my situation. I think it's a lot of factors. There's a lot of things. Um, at the end of the day, our mindset is a choice. Like we choose how we want to live our life. We choose our attitude. Um, no matter what the ex- like external factors are, it's our choice as to how we want to react. Um, and it took me a lot of time to realize that. But it's not. It's not really me. It's to me. It's a lot of things. I'll, I think it to me. What I say is it comes down to the four P's. I think we need the four P's in our life to have this mindset or to feel like to, to thrive in life. And the four P's are purpose. I think we need something in our life that provides us with purpose and meaning. We need passion. That's the second P. And for me, that's blind golf. That's inspirational speaking. Uh, third is perspective. 
We need to maintain perspective on our situation. Take it from a blind guy. You need perspective. Uh, <laughs> and finally, I think most importantly, we need people. We need quality people. Mm-hmm. And um, I, we mentioned my dad. We went. We mentioned my mom. Uh, I've got an incredible wife uh, who's been by my side for. We've been together for over twelve years now, and and then I've got an amazing friends and, and a support group. So I think if you have those four P's, like it's pretty easy to have a positive mindset on mm-hmm. life. What, um, I was going to ask about your wife. So y'all met before you went blind? Uh, kind of not really. I mean, we, I was in a fraternity at San Diego state. I was, before I lost my sight, I was outside, uh, telling her roommate to come to the party we were having that night. You take her to a function and, or something. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, we're going to have an awesome party. Like I was helping the guys decorate the house and doing stuff. And I was like, come to the party and the night's going to be epic. And she was standing next to her roommate and she's like, Oh my gosh, like this guy, no way. Uh, that's, that's her original thought process uh, of me when she first heard me promoting this party. But, uh, about nine months after I lost my sight, um, she and I had a good conversation and, uh, we, yeah, we hit it off, started dating and we've been together ever since. So nine months after I lost my sight, we started talking and we've been together ever since. Man, that's such an important part of life too. finding that. I mean, like I'm 100%. engaged now and it's, yeah, congrats. You know, she's made me so much better. And, you. uh, once you find that it's, it, you realize how important that is. And, um, y'all recently had a baby, right? Your first baby boy baby boy he's turning one uh he turns one tomorrow hey congratulations yeah thank you very much it's so exciting it's the best what's been the uh hardest part of a blind father having to to you know chase a little boy around yeah i i just wrote an article um that said becoming a father is like going blind and (laughs) I wrote that because when I went blind, when I lost my sight, when I went legally blind, I was so scared. I was scared about all the things that I could not do and all the things I wasn't anticipating. How hard is this going to be? What uh, everything I was just, when, when you overthink it, things seem really daunting. And this, the same goes for when you become a father. Like I was so scared of like, man, what am I going to do wrong? How I'm not prepared for this. And, you know, being visually impaired, is that really going to impact me being a good father? And when you overthink it, it, it becomes daunting, but when you're thrust into it, becoming legally blind, or you're thrust into it, becoming a father, like if you're just ready to get after it, you're going to do fine. Um, and if you have the right mindset, like you referenced, you're going to be okay. Um, the hardest thing for me, is just kind of, I'm not able to see him from a distance. Um, but I mean, I'm changing a lot of diapers. Uh, I get, I get a lot closer than, uh, I like, but we got to make sure he's clean. And, uh, I don't want people to see how close I get to it, but you know, when it's, when he's your kid, I'll do anything in the world for that guy. And it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. It's fatherhood is one of the fatherhood's probably the best thing on the planet, man. Man, that's incredible. Um, well, congratulations to you and your beautiful wife. I have a, a few funny questions or, oh, cool. you know, I like it as we, as we wrap up here and you've been so gracious with your time, but you recently had a um, podcast with the four Playboys, boys mm-hmm. and uh, you're on there with Pat Perez. 
Yeah. Did uh did anything come out of you and Pat Perez taking on them in a little challenge? Uh, nothing's come out of it yet. The, honestly, the main thing that's come out of it is Pat Perez's brothers reached out to me, uh, and we've been trying to schedule around a golf. So um, I haven't heard from Pat since, uh, but I'm assuming that something will happen with the four play guys in the future. But nothing's come from it yet. They're great, and I love how they've you know put a different light into golf. Um, yeah. how many, uh, bourbons do you think Pat Perez had during that show? <laughs> Man, more than I could see. There was all, there were a lot. I, I and honestly, I kind of got thrust into the interview unknowingly that Pat was even on, let alone that he was, uh, intoxicated or he was like pretty deep into the bourbons where I, I like joined in like, Hey, what's going on race? What's going on guys. And all of a sudden Pat's just like cursing. I'm like, Whoa, I wasn't ready for this, but here we are. Uh, yeah. it was, that was pretty darn funny. Yeah. I was, I was laughing pretty good at that. Um, yeah, man. you put, you put on your Instagram, a lot of Ted Lasso. Who's your favorite, uh, Ted Lasso character. I love Ted Lasso mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, I think, I mean, Ted's my favorite character. Um, Ted Lasso is my favorite character because I love his positivity. I love his mindset and I love his corny jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of him and, and just the, I think we need more uplifting shows in this world. Um, we have so much divisive content out there and uh, we need more feel good stuff. And the more feel good stuff we have out there, the better it is for society. So I'm a big fan of Ted Lasso for that reason. Uh, who's, who's your favorite character? Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, if we put Ted aside, I mean, I think Roy Kent's hilarious, but I was going to ask you what's your favorite scene. And I think for me, my favorite scene in Ted Lasso is, I think it's the end of season one, maybe when he's throwing darts. It's a hundred percent my favorite scene as well. Yeah. Um, and I just yeah. love, you know, he's like, people have underestimated me my whole life. And then, you know, yeah. played darts with my dad growing up. And next thing you know, he just like, takes down uh whatever that guy's name is the former owner rupert rupert yeah, yeah man that's son of a gun yeah. um, and he goes yeah i'm a lefty and <laughs> and i've rewatched that scene multiple times and the whole concept or the whole kind of overlying theme of that scene is the walt whitman quote be curious not judgmental mm-hmm. And I think that's so powerful. Like we, we as human beings tend to judge people so quickly on immediate interactions or mm-hmm. uh, judging, judging books by their covers. But I mean, we need to be a little more curious. We need to ask more questions. And, you know, it was in that situation, Rupert, the owner uh, was like, oh yeah, I'll play you darts for money. And he doesn't. And Ted's like, well, if you would ask me like, Hey, have you ever played darts before? I would have said, yeah, I played every Friday with my dad. <laughs> and if you would have said, I would have said I'm a lefty. And then he just dominates him. So yeah, I totally agree with you. That's in my opinion as well, by far the the best scene. And it is such an uplifting show. I tell everybody I run into, man, you got to watch Ted Les. So you're, it's not a soccer show. It's, it's a uplifting show. Um, yeah. you got the chance to play with Aaron Rodgers. How was that? Uh, I got the chance to what I, I haven't played 18 holes with him yet, but, um, what I was doing was I was hitting a tee shot on a par five at a course in Southern California here. And it was at a charity golf tournament. And I was standing on a par five tee with my driver 
my dad was there with me and every group that came through, um, we were, they were making donations to a nonprofit that I support um, and I'm a big fan of. And then I was having them uh, line me up to hit a drive. And the tournament organizer was like, hey, do you want to see the T-sheet of the players? And I was like, I, I mean, you can give it to my dad, but like, I'm not going to know anybody's name. And my dad was looking at it and he's like, oh man, in seven groups is Reggie Bush. And after that is Aaron Rodgers and Blake Bortles. I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, I got nervous. Uh, and so Aaron and Blake Bortles group came in and they made a donation. I was chatting it up with them, chatted up with Aaron for a while. And um, I was like, all right, does one of you want to line me up for a tee shot? And Aaron's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'm like, oh God. Uh, and <laughs> He lined me up. I hit a good tee shot. Uh, and yeah, from that experience, he started following me on Twitter and Instagram and we've kept in touch and I've gotten to see him a couple times after that. So it was a, it was a great experience and I enjoyed, enjoyed my time with him. It was, it was fun. He's, he's been nothing but great to me. Amazing. And kind of just like Aaron's doing with you, I want people to be able to follow you and kind of get involved in what's important to you and what's the best way they can do that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I, I send out a every other week email um, called points, P-O-I-N-C-E of perspective. Um, and it's just kind of a way to send something inspirational to your inbox, um, kind of something I'm thinking about or stories or things to put things in perspective. And if you want to sign up for that, uh, you can just text the word C-S-E-E to 55444. And if you just text that, uh, you'll join the email list and receive those emails. And then people can also follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn. And I'm, I'm pretty much most active on those social accounts um, and sending out that email every other week. What's your uh, handle on Instagram? Uh, my full name, uh, which is not easy. Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, points no, nine letters, P-O-I-N-C-E-N-O-T. Awesome, man. Do you have any uh, upcoming tournaments? Uh, I don't, I, well, th we're going to have the vision cup, uh, which is the blind rider cup. And that nice. should be in, a TPC sawgrass actually, which is really exciting. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that should be a TPC sawgrass in September next year. So that's where the top 12 blind golfers from North America take on the top 12 from the rest of the world. And it's a three day tournament like the rider cup and, team play the first two days singles matches the third day and i'm uh i'm that's that's what i'm looking forward to dang that's awesome we had yeah, uh, the Ryder cool. cup was sick this past year who's your uh who's your favorite golfer i i think that's the thing i love about golf is like when when i was a san diego chargers fan when they were in san diego now i now i don't care uh <laughs> now now i'm a packers fan uh, but when i was a chargers fan and the chargers lost on sunday it kind of ruined the rest of my Sunday and sometimes bled into Monday. But what I love about golf is I'm not like a diehard. This guy has to win. Otherwise I'm upset. Um, but I, I like the young guys. Like I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of Max Homa, uh, Xander Shoffley mm -hmm. and guys like them. And if they, if, if Xander and Max are duking it out on a Sunday, if either of them wins, I'm happy. Um, and that's, that's what I love about golf. Very true, man. We got a lot of young golfers for pulling for. And like you said, man, golf's such an unbelievable sport, not only for, you know, the winner, but the whole community around golf. And that's one thing I love about golf is 
some sort of meditation for me as I'm getting out there. But Jeremy, man, thank you so much for joining me. I'm excited to share your story. It's uh, it's really incredible for people to hear, and hopefully it can help somebody out if they're going through something. They can see how much you've decided to make a huge positive out of your life. I appreciate it, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.